Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. Very interesting conversation, David, with the CEO of Port St. John, Craig Estabrooks, um, you know, who recently took over that role um, and is, but has been with the Port for more than a decade. A very capable uh, young leader uh, for, a cor- for a Port on the move. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, you know, for many, many years, the Port St. John was a very specific port. It, 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 it shipped out the potash and it, it, you know, it was there and it supported the import of oil and the export of uh, refined oil products. But there wasn't a whole lot else going on at the port for many, many years. And of course, when uh, Jim Quinn, the previous CEO, came in uh, over a decade ago, uh, um, you know, his vision was a, was a real sort of secondary port in Canada with, with container traffic and everything else. And uh, that vision uh, has been realized as the listeners will hear today. Yeah. And one, you know, one of the big advantages that Port St. John has is it's got four class one railways uh, serving the port, which gives it a distribution capacity uh, that is kind of unparalleled, I think, certainly in this region, but really, really across Canada. It gives them options to ship not only in other parts of Canada, but directly into the U.S., which, which obviously opens up some opportunities like uh, places like the Port of Halifax doesn't have exactly the same opportunity because it only deals with CN in their network. And so that's important. I think the other important thing, and, and Craig mentioned this at the end, which I think is a, a really important statement, is that they're working with one of the biggest – uh, terminal operators in the whole world, DP world, which gives them access uh, to, you know, really the world in terms of uh, building their business uh, through marketing efforts that DP can bring to the table. And I think that that's, uh, that's, that, that's another sign of confidence, I think, in the future uh, of the port. Uh, they've been able to, you know, significantly increase their ability to handle TEUs you know, they were around 150, and it looks like with the infill that's uh, happening on the west side of the harbor, they're going to be able to handle up to 800 TEUs, which is uh, which is really quite remarkable. Uh, and uh, it, it shows the opportunity moving ahead. The other thing that I was struck with is the um, the employment uh, side of things, which you know they basically doubled their hours. In, in, over the last two years alone, and um, and they've got you know close to three hundred people working at the port in very well paying jobs. So, you know, uh, many of them um, kind of six figure jobs, and uh, so very good. As he said, uh, he called them middle class jobs, but I'm not sure they're middle class jobs at that rate. But you know, very important to the local economy to have those well paying, steady jobs. Yes, and a growing cruise ship industry. They're expecting 190,000 passengers this year, and they did a study in 2019 showing a $70 million benefit just from the cruise ship sector. So lots of, uh, lots of exciting things going on at the port. Oh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, as, as, as you know, I did some work uh, recently with Envision, the economic development uh, agency for the greater uh, St. John area. And uh, one of the things that really struck me was the opportunity 
to develop the uptown area of St. John as a destination. It's got all the infrastructure opportunities that you would like in a, in a destination. But one of the biggest ones is the waterfront, of course. There has been a lot of uh, good work done on the city side of the waterfront with uh, Fundy Key, uh, with uh, Area 506, and, uh, uh, and, and, and other things that are coming. But, you know, it, it, one of the challenges that the city has is that it's got a mixed use of commercial and, 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 and residential city uh, opportunities on the city side. I was really glad to hear Craig talk about, you know, transitioning some of their operations on the city side uh, to um, maybe... Um, the benefit of the city. In fact, you know, there, I think there is a need for a master plan and an agreement between the city and the port about the long-term uses of the the lands that are available, including Long Wharf, which is a spectacular site and in uh, the future might play a big role in the redevelopment of, of their waterfront. Yeah, it's an industrial city and it needs to embrace its role as an industrial city. But as Craig points out, as industrial properties are transitioned or move into other parts of the city, you know there needs to be a transition plan to to migrate that land into into residential or commercial or other uses, uh, and maybe they're getting a little smarter about that these days. The final point that I want to make is that obviously the port uh, is very important to the future of the city. Uh, there's a lot of good things going on for people who haven't been to the city of St. John recently. You know, uh, especially as I mentioned on the waterfront in the up, up, uh, uptown area, you know, I, I have uh, I have a lot of optimism for a city that's been kind of you know under the radar and 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 and, ha- and suffers from a, a bit of a poor uh, image in the rest of the region. It, it's a city on the move. Uh, port's a big part of that, and to have a young leader like uh, Craig. Uh, uh, at the helm of the port, I think is really going to be beneficial uh, to a better uh, collaboration between the port and the city going forward. So uh, with that uh, introduction, here's our conversation with Craig Esterbrooks, the uh, CEO of Port St. John. We are pleased to have Craig uh, Esterbrooks, the CEO of uh, the Port of St. John uh, Authority with us today on this episode of Insights Podcast. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Craig, let's begin by finding a little bit about your background. Can you give us a quick overview of your career path and that how it ultimately ended up to your current role as CEO of Port St. John? Absolutely. First of all, thank you for inviting me on the podcast. We are we are podcasters now at the Port of St. John as well, uh, having launched our own uh, Port Pod uh, a number of months ago. So I really enjoy this platform and I, I think it's a wonderful way to get uh, a little bit deeper, nuanced conversation. So first of all, thank you for having me. So, uh, so again, my name is uh, Craig. I've been at the Port since October of 2011 and was appointed president and CEO by our board of directors uh, in November of 2021. So I've got, I've got 12 years uh, of experience with this port. And for my first decade, I had the great pleasure of working with uh, Jim Quinn, now Senator Jim Quinn, who's a wonderful friend and mentor. And I had different roles uh, reporting to him directly. Uh, I started uh, I started working on uh, government relation files and helping build business cases for infrastructure projects and what would become the major $205 million modernization that I know we're going to talk a little bit about uh, today. Uh, I also was the lead of our corporate services team that looked after finance, HR, general administration, again, government relations, IT, and some different, uh, different files at the port for a number of years that all culminated in, in becoming CEO in November of 21. 
So the next question I have for you before we get into some specifics about the port, we wanted to ask you about the economic impact that the port has in St. John and, and across New Brunswick. Now, I will say for full disclosure, back in 2015 or 2016, when I was in the government, I actually did an economic impact report on uh, Port St. John because I was part of the team that uh, led to the funding for the port expansion back uh, back then. So I have a little bit of a sense of it, but I guess the question for you, Craig, is can you give our listeners a sense of the economic impact of, of, of uh, Port St. John uh, in uh, to the city, the region, and, and the province? Do you, do you know how many jobs are supported, uh, you know, the payroll at the port, um, uh, your overall budget or spending on goods and services? Yeah, we're, we're, we're really just in the middle of refreshing a lot of that data, David, as well. So I can give you some of the inputs that have gone into a study that we're, we're hoping to release very soon that we're doing in conjunction with our workforce partnership. So we have a group uh, that, 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 that proactively looks at some of the opportunities and challenges that we have at the port that include ourselves, our terminal operators, our stevedoring uh, representatives through the, through the Saint, Port of St. John Employers Association, and our unionized workforce, the ILA Local uh, 217. So we're just updating that data now, and we're hoping to come out uh, with 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 some with some concrete information through the summer. But I but I can share with some of the some of the growth journey that we're on today. Uh, the economic impact is 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 so major from an, a direct and an indirect standpoint. And you did such great work years ago helping us find out what that induced number would be too, because we really have to be looking at this as a multi layered economic a- opportunity. So right now we're looking at trying to quantify very much the direct number of jobs that that are created by the port. And we're looking at kind of the operators. So the primary operators in this port are DP World that have a multi-purpose terminal that focuses on containers, uh, a little bit of break bulk and some project cargo at, at, at the current current time being. We have a, a very large potash terminal that moves the bulk potash, uh, you know, via rail from, from uh, Saskatchewan into St. John. We do about a one to two million uh, ton, tons of potash. We have the cruise business and then the activity in the Outer Harbor, of course, uh, liquid bulk, uh, Irving oil imports, crude oil refines it and then sends it out through our Courtney Bay facilities. That's very, very high volume uh, of liquid bulk that comes through the, the, the port. So if you look at the direct jobs, we're trying to quantify how many uh, unionized hours um, you know, uh, we're, we're generating today. We had a major leap from 2021 to 2022 with all the big growth in our container business. We went from about 140,000 person hours work to just over 300,000 in 2022 uh, with the ILA. So that's major jobs. And I really promote locally here, uh, you know, the living wage that the Human Development Council calculates. Uh, those, those, the hourly rates of, of the longshore are typically uh, double that of the living, living wage. So they're really good quality work on the waterfront. So that's very, very important uh, that we promote that at all times. We know we've been working with Atlantic Towing, MB Southern, who's the short line that connects into our three class one railway partners have been on a growth journey over the last 18 months um, as as well. Uh, We've added Harbor Pilots through the Atlantic Pilotage Authority. You know, kind of those are the those are the very, very direct jobs that are related to moving a container. And then we're starting to try to quantify what's the what's the indirect impact? What's the is there manufacturing opportunities that could happen? You know, Irving Oil itself is a great story of of a liquid bulk 
uh, movement through a port becoming a major uh, facility in, 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 in the refinery. I do have more precise numbers with respect to crews. We just updated those last year. It's an over $70 million uh, economic impact to crews pre-pandemic. And now in 2023, we're so pleased that we're going to have just over 190,000 passengers this year. That puts us in and amongst the top three, four years in the history of the St. John in terms of welcoming cruise ships. And we anticipate record years coming in 2024 and 2025. So Craig, what's your just the budget for the port itself? Is that a public number? Yeah, we're, our, our revenues, we just had our AGM last week. Our revenues are, are upwards of 26, 27 million now. Uh, so we, you know we uh, we're 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 really growing in terms of revenues. Not that long ago, when when I, when I was early days at the port, we were more of a thirteen fourteen million dollar uh, re- revenue stream. So we're really we're really growing along with the business. We've gone from uh, I believe twenty seven employees back in the 2017-18 period to just over 50 now. And then we, we, we obviously um, hire uh, lots of folks seasonally. We have a security team uh, that works here that's a third-party contractor. And then we bring in we bring in consultants, a lot of engineers to help us with, with big infrastructure projects and making sure the best eyes are looking at our infrastructure. Yeah, I just want to follow up on those uh, hours that you mentioned, doubling the number of hours for uh, the union members. That's that's uh, that's a pretty significant number. Uh, I, I want to translate that to people, if we can. Um, I'm ass- I'm assuming that you know there's a you know two thousand to twenty four hundred hours per man person. I guess would that be a reasonable way to look at it? Um, yeah. It, 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 very reasonable. So, in, in terms of hard numbers, uh, the, the the way the way the longshore union works, and this is true in other ports like Halifax or Montreal and Vancouver, they have a full unionized workforce. So you're a, you're a full fledged member of the union. Then they have a white card list. Uh, which 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 gives you some um, you know some some greater ability to to secure the hours worked and and to begin your path towards that full unionized workforce and then we have a reserve list so in St John we're now upwards we, we were anecdotally because all three can fluctuate quite a bit especially the reserve list we were more in that hundred and hundred and twenty five. Uh, people uh, working on the waterfront in 2021 to, um, I believe, the current numbers around 260 uh, people working now, but it's across the three sections. So as it's all you know, the reserve list can fluctuate, uh, you know, quite a bit based on based on demand. Yeah, and and just for our listeners to, get, to give it some perspective, these are well-paying jobs. Can you give us, you know, what would be an average? wage for somebody doing this kind of work at the port it, it's a, it's in excess of forty dollars an hour and then if you based on different classifications uh you can you can make you can make more than that so you hear a lot of people if they're able to secure the hours you know six figures is not out of the question for these for these waterfront jobs that's why they're so key to building a tremendous um, middle class and having the economic impact. It's really why, it, even though we're not an employer ourselves as the Port Authority of the ILA, it's why we're, we, you know, especially in the last 18 months, that the relationships I've tried to build with, 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 the, with the leadership of that union, I think it's absolutely crucial that we're all working together because if we're ref- being reflective in 10, 15 years and we grow to the cargo volumes, having those people working on the waterfront is what I'm most interested in looking back at. I think that'll transform the city as much as anything. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Uh, I was interested to find out that the port 
uh, that Port St. John is promoted uh, as Atlantic Canada's largest port by volume. I think people in Halifax would be very surprised by that, Craig. Uh, can, you tell us, can you tell us the basis of that claim? And maybe you mentioned the types of cargo, but maybe yeah. a little bit more specifically about the cargo that you're, you're kind of uh, 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 dealing with. I, I, I've, begin, I've begun, Don, uh, switching that narrative, and I think that's going to be reflective soon. I like to talk about St. John as the greatest comeback story and, and, and the fact that we're the fastest growing container port on the East Coast of North America presently. That's kind of the new, the, the new language I've been embedding in. But, but you're right. By, by, by tonnage, we are the largest in Atlantic Canada. The vast majority, as I mentioned earlier, of that big tonnage number, it comes from our Outer Harbor uh, partners. Uh, Irving Oil specifically, we've got an LNG terminal that is uh, owned and operated by Repsol out of Spain as well that does some LNG import movements. So the liquid bulk in the Outer Harbor does does you know take into account the vast majority of of, of that cargo. When we get into the Inner Harbor, uh, that's land that's 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 owned and operated and leased in long term concessions to fr from to our private partners. Uh, some of the some of the most interesting growing cargo that we have in the Inner Harbor is obviously with DP World, where we've made these major capital investments on the west side of our port, and then at our Barrack Point Potash Terminal that is uh, that is operated by Campotex, and where Nutrien has a significant presence for over forty years at our port. So those are the two areas. I talk a lot about, and it's really where a lot of our capital and our efforts at the Port Authority are being deployed at the moment. Now, you uh, talked a little bit earlier about the, the cruise industry and how important it's become for the port. Um, you mentioned that uh, it was uh, pre-pandemic, it was worth about $70 million. Uh, obviously, um, it's in a rebuild um, uh, since then. Um uh, how many passengers uh, do you anticipate attracting uh, this this current year? Yeah, this uh, year we're in, that number. Yeah, this year we're anticipating just over one hundred and ninety thousand passengers. So that's mm. a very significant year. We we've passed the two hundred thousand passenger number in St. John, but but just barely. Uh, I, I believe once or twice. Uh, and in our history, because the, the cruise industry can have ups and downs, much like the general economy, uh, but so getting getting close to that number is um, is, is really important for us. We, we believe that in the future years we can very comfortably get into the two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand passenger number in St. John and really welcome them and have a great experience for that number of passengers. We're still uh, you know it's still very much a fall program for cruise. We get the vast majority of our ships come between late August. And, uh, and and late October, they take it much like Halifax. They take advantage of the fall foliage. We're part of that Canada New England program, so we work very closely with with ports like Halifax, Charlottetown, Sydney, to name a few, Cornerbrook, and right into the St. Lawrence. The whole Canada New England program really operates as one uh, as one marketing arm to sell our region because because you know cruise likes to make the cruise ships like to make many stops on their journey depending on how long long the voyage is. So we we're strong when we're all when we're all fired together yeah i just want to follow up on that uh, that question uh, uh, you know you built a dedicated cruise terminal uh, some years ago it wasn't that long ago i guess but uh, some years ago but i'm wondering about the births uh, given the expansion of the cruise uh, industry in in halifax we could have as many as five or six ships in which you know we put some pressure on uh, births and that sort of thing uh, what's your plan for births because i don't think you have enough space at the new uh, cruise terminal for more than what two boats or something like two ships 
Yeah, we, we right now we have two dedicated cruise facilities. We call them the Marco Polo. The building I'm in today, that was opened in, uh, I believe, 2007, 2008 time, time period. And then we mm-hmm. have our, our Diamond Jubilee Cruise Terminal that was that was opened in 2012. So we have two two dedicated cruise terminals today. And then on the days that we have three ships, so it's it's not a large order of magnitude in St. John. But but again, in that really busy fall period, we can have three ships here. And uh, and and that the third vessel is docked at Long Wharf. But we do not have a cruise facility today um, at, at, at Long Wharf. Um, so we, so the the, prefer, the 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 first two berths that get booked are at Marco Polo and at Diamond Jubilee, and they're next to each other on on the waterfront, just down from Prince William Street. Uh, if, you're, right. if, if your listeners know Saint John High, because so many so many leaders in Atlantic Canada seem to have uh, crossed paths with Saint John High, you'd be looking down at the two cruise terminals. Uh, just one other question that, and, and, and again, um, you know, I've done a little bit of work uh, in, in St. John on, the, on, on the economic development. Long Wharf, uh, uh, you know, I, I'd like to, to get the, your, so what your plans are for that. That's a major opportunity asset for the city, obviously. I know there's been discussions about how that might be redeveloped and, and, and its future uses, including, uh, you know, sort of a more permanent berth for cruise ships, I believe. Can you just tell us a little bit about what the plan is there? Yeah, we're 100% committed to Long Wharf uh, being a cruise facility. We think the frequency of three ship days is likely going to increase. Uh, but we've, we've done some interesting projects to try to get citizens closer uh, to Long Wharf because it's proximity to hotels and and kind of the exciting developments at Fundy Key and other things that have happened at the waterfront. We've got project uh, two projects on either side of Long Wharf that gets people to the very end. Uh, one that was done a number of years ago that extended Harbor Passage out. Um, that's that's the uh, that there's a beautiful uh, monument at the end that that Mr. John Irving invested in um, as a, as a, as a memorial uh, to to soldiers and the third field regiment out on out on that part and there's interpretive um you know kind of interpretive signs and, and and different things of that nature along that path and it's very much an extension of harbor passage so we were pleased that that uh uh, that, that, that's available for people that are walking the passage. The new project that we're working on this year that we're tremendously excited about, and it's part of, um, it's part of bringing the community down to, to the area that we call Long Wharf Slip. I think that's probably the most attractive spot um, in, 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 in the whole area. Uh, we're going to be building Harbor Passage out to the end, and we had a circular cell breakwater that was done as an offsetting part of our modernization because we needed to relocate the pilots, our vessels, and, 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 and a lot of smaller uh, smaller ships that were at, the, uh, that were over on the west side of our port that were closed off with modernization because we, we blocked the two slipways with the new, with the new container pier. Uh, so th- those vessels, there's fishers, different type of activity. They're now all in long wharf slip and we've installed these beautiful circular cell breakwaters that give, that give shelter and floating docks. And we've installed a ramp down there as well. So what we're doing is beautifying that area this year and, and folks will be able to go walk on the, on the breakwater. And have some of the best views in in, in in the city. So we really think there's a lot of opportunity down there. Uh, the other area that I think would be re- really attractive for development uh, down there that's owned by the city um, and, and the port, we have a small piece of land in th- there as well, is next to what uh, was formerly a St. John Energy substation. So they've moved, St. John Energy's moved the substation to Paradise Row, and I believe are going to be commissioning that new substation very soon now that the Birchill Energy project has been, has been ignited. And um, so, so that that area right there is going to be prime prime development. Uh, looking on to what I think is going to be a very attractive uh, Long Wharf slip. So, in recent years, you've been expanding into containerized 
traffic. We understand that the port handled its largest number of containers or TEUs last year. Can you tell us uh, about that trend? Where are you today? Maybe how it compares to the Port of Halifax, just for context. And then ultimately, can you tell us how much capacity do you have to handle increased uh, container traffic? Yeah, the, the capacity is definitely a moving target as we get some of these infrastructure projects online. Uh, so maybe I'll start with with, with capacity. Uh, our traditional container terminal that we that is called Rodney Terminal uh, because of Rodney Street in in, in the west West St. John. Uh, we, we always advertise that capacity of you know in, in and around the 125 to 150,000 TEU uh, capacity pre-modernization. Our original 205 million dollar project that created the second berth. Um, at the at, at at the facility and made upgrades to our intermodal and our truck gate and 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 we and we deepened the outer harbor and the berth pocket at the new facility. Uh, that that gets us to between three hundred and three hundred and twenty five thousand uh, TEU TEUs of capacity. But because of all the exciting developments that occurred in twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one, specifically with CPKC Rail, uh, we went forward with what we call an enhanced modernization project that we were successful that we successfully uh, secured funding through the National Trade Corridor Fund and with some help from our provincial government in New Brunswick uh, to fill in uh, the open areas that were created by the new by the new berth. Uh, we call it the slip-in fill project and that is now fully underway with filling in those two slips because they're so it's such key uh, laydown area behind our new facility that actually takes us all the way to 800,000 TEU capacity. And why I put the big asterisks on this and why we qualify a little bit of capacity as we've learned coming out of the pandemic and with some of the supply chain issues around the world, you're only, you're only as good as your weakest point in capacity. So we may have tons of laydown capacity at the terminal itself, but, but if there's issues with road or rail, or there's a natural disaster or, you know, the, the terrible floods that occurred in BC, um, you know, over the last number of months, um, you know, if, if anything interrupts that fluidity, you've got challenges. And that's why resiliency, these, these terms that, that, that keep getting, keep getting mentioned like fluidity and resiliency sound like cliche, but they're exceptionally important if we're looking at supply chain. So, so that's why we're trying to, we're not only looking at the on-terminal capacity, but we're working with our partners, DP World, MB Southern, uh, who's such a great short line, who's made tons of investments here in New Brunswick, CPKC, CN, CSX, our three class one providers. We're working with everyone to make sure that the fluidity of the network is strong. So how many TEUs last year? Uh, sorry, second part of the question. Uh, last year, we, we, we grew uh, a little over 70% between 2021 and 2022, from 86,000 TEUs to 151,000 TEUs. Our run rate here in 2023 is down slightly. I think there's a lot of economic uh, you know, pressure. Uh, there's, there's, there's definitely uh, uh, some trade realignment happening. I uh, hate to use the R word, but you know the, the, there are re recessionary pressures. Whether we're in a recession or not, I'd leave that to someone like you, David, to to comment on that more fully. But um, uh, you know, we're we're definitely seeing somewhat of a slowdown. But we're also very pleased to see Canada EU trade is still very very strong, and and our volumes are are good at the port this year. And we're we're very hopeful that we'll hit that hundred and fifty thousand TEU number again. And then and then as things improve and the global economy and trade picks up, I think we're off to the races. So the port is managed by DP World. It has several rail providers, NB Southern, CNCP. Um, uh, in fact, you have, I think, four, three or four uh, Class 1 railways serving the port. Uh, 
Yeah, three, uh, three class one railways with, with the short line uh, servicing all of them. And I cannot stress how important MB Southern is to, to all of this. They're a tremendous short line. We're very fortunate to have them here. And they've made tons of investments to be ready for this growth. So I guess the question for you, though, is, is are we going to see finally start to see cargo uh, shipped into the U.S. from the port of St. John? Or does everything just automatically have to go through Toronto and down through Chicago? Is there is because of these new relationships that you've had, yeah. will we start to see cargo actually shipped across the New Brunswick border into Maine and on and on to points throughout the U.S.? Absolutely. We're doing it today. A lot of that growth from 86,000 to 151. We're seeing destinations in Chicago, Detroit, Minneapolis, Kansas City. And I'm going to talk a little bit about one of our rail providers right now because we're seeing the growth today. Uh, CPKC is an unrivaled North American network now. Uh, Mr. Keith Creel, their CEO, was our keynote last week at Port Days and delivered just an, a tremendous uh, speech. Uh, one of his first post-April uh, 14th merger of, of CP and Kansas City Southern, the full merger went Went through on April 14th of this year. And it was just a riveting talk about why he views St. John as a key East Coast connection. He called us a jewel um, in, in their network. And, and, we, and it re- the, you know, he and his team really have a vision for uh, moving a tremendous amount of imported cargo uh, through the port of St. John and getting to that, get, getting to those U.S. destinations because they really have a, a, a very interesting value proposition through this new integrated North American network. So just a quick follow-up question to that, because Don and I were all about Atlantic cooperation and regional economy and, and, and a big love-in, but your competition here is the Port of Halifax. Um, does this give you a differentiation that they don't have, this yeah. ability to sh- – everything coming into Halifax goes right through to central Canada, doesn't it? I, I'm going to say something that your listeners are going to roll their eyes at, but it's the honest truth. And and, 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 I, and I've said this over and over again. Port of Halifax is not our major competitor. Obviously, there, there could be some cargoes that move, you know, specifically Atlantic Canadian exports could, could move, but totally different business models. Halifax is going to have a very strong uh, case to bring in very large cruise ships. They brought in uh, container ships. They brought in the CMA, uh, Marco Polo, 20,000 TEU ships. We cannot service that in Port of St. John. We, could, we couldn't turn them in our harbor so it's not even a water depth um, a matter of water depth you know we see our value proposition getting to those inland markets in in in, in toronto in canada canadian context we've even shipped some containers to the port of st john that go as far as british columbia we're, we're part of a supply chain resiliency plan and we with cpkc and the ability to connect into three class one railways we will have value for some shippers uh, we see a lot of potential cargo diverted canadian destined cargo that's currently going through congested u.s northeast ports that are only getting more and more congested as we're seeing trade go from the, you know western north america in, into eastern north america that's where we see value we've installed refrigerated plugins at our container terminal we want to do a lot of refrigerated cargo through the port and that's something that cpkc talks about a lot I, I really, honest, I, people again. People will will think I'm just saying this, but it's 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 our fundamental belief at St. John. Both Halifax and St. John are going to grow. So Halifax does. You're saying the the big post Panamax ships that you can't do in St. John. They can handle much, you know, much larger ships. Now we can ha- we can handle. We're, we are increasing our ability the best we can with our new berth. We're going to go to that ten twelve thousand TEU vessel at our new berth that's going to be open here later in in June with the two super post Panamax cranes that DP World brought in. But ten to twelve thousand right now is our is our max in the Inner Harbor. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the operator of the port, DP World. It's uh, it's a, an important relationship, obviously. And for people 
maybe not familiar with uh, DP World, uh, they're also involved with golf, right? <laughs> they were in the news yesterday with the amalgamation of all the professional golf tours because yeah. they're, sponsor, they're a big sponsor, I guess, of the European tour. Okay. Um, but but I, I I just wanted you to to talk about them as uh, as your partner in running the port and how important that relationship is. Yeah, th thanks, Don. Because DP World is an essential part of the future of the Port of St. John. So they arrived uh, in in late 2016 and began operating in January 2017 uh, here. Uh, just as we were signing our contribution agreements and getting our financing ready to go forward with modernization. So they've been our partner building this from the ground up uh, day one. Uh, they've been an important player in, in helping attract uh, more container lines, getting more rail connectivity in the Port of St. John. They are not just a terminal operator. They are a fully integrated logistics company that operates out of Dubai, but but we're part of the DP World Canada network. Uh, they have terminals in Vancouver, Fraser Surrey Docks, uh, up in Prince Rupert, uh, in Nanaimo. So huge, huge presence in British Columbia. Uh, we're their only concession on the East Coast. Uh, right now, and and we're just really pleased to be part of that DP World Canada. The reach that they have and the knowledge in the, across the whole supply chain is 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 essential to where we are today. So we work extremely close with them, not just on infrastructure projects. We try to have uh, commercial missions with them. You know, they obviously take the lead because they're in, they're doing direct sales. We're more facilitators of trade. They're more they're more doing the direct private sector deals. But we work hand in hand with DP World. There probably isn't a day uh, in a given week that one of our team members isn't interacting with one of their team members. And what are the main uh, shipping lines that currently use the port, Craig? Yeah, we currently have three. Uh, Hapeg Lloyd out of, out, of, uh, out of Germany has three weekly services into St. John, and they're a very key partner of CPKC. Uh, we have CMA CGM out of France, and then MSC, who's our longest serving uh, global container partner that arrived in 2012. They took a chance on us very early in the journey before we even had fully scoped our modernization project. So been a great partner there. Hopefully more so, to come. <laughs> So you've talked uh, quite a bit already about your uh, modernization, your expansion plans, your ability to now get up to 800 uh, KTEUs, uh, your work on the cruise side. Um, I guess the question for you is maybe you could let us know how much uh, that was, what the total cost of that was, how much have you invested uh, at the port and and how, uh, how that uh, investment was funded. Was it part government, all government? Did you fund it at a cash flow? What, 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 uh, how did you pay for how, What was the total amount? Yep. of the modernization and, and how was it funded? Yep, the modernization project was $205 million. Uh, we, we materially completed that project just working on, on final loose ends here by the at the end of March of 2023. So it came in on time, on budget, and increased scope, which, which you don't hear of a lot. Uh, we were very fortunate that we began the project in uh, pre-pandemic <laughs> and locked in a lot of prices, uh, especially for the caissons that that that, that form the, the the strength of the new of the, of the new pier. Uh, you know, pre pre-pandemic, so we were very fortunate in our timing. Uh, we were able to do a little bit more with that 205 million, like build that uh, uh, the marina that I mentioned at Long Wharf Slip uh, in in an earlier question of, of this interview. So that was really important. How we funded the 205, it was under the Build Canada Fund, which was a third, a third, a third at the time. So you had to have your provincial government locked in for a third, which was 68.3 million. The federal government through Build Canada and Infrastructure Canada, 68.3 million. And then the Port Authority ourselves, we financed 68.3 million as well. We put a borrowing instrument in place and we were able to fund uh, the vast majority of our 68.3 out of our general cash flow. Uh, it meant our day-to-day 
kind of our day-to-day capital, our annual capital budget was uh, w- w- was decreased over that time. So we, we really only spent about a million, million and a half, two million on our on our other 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 capital. So we're actively scoping now. What are some of the projects going forward? We're reviewing 2023 as a bit of a transition year. Uh, but but I mentioned earlier we have a second project that we call enhanced modernization. They go hand in hand. Uh, that's a 42 million dollar slip infill project. Uh, that was announced in May of 2022. So we funded that uh, with 50% from the National Trade Corridor Fund, and then the remaining 50% was shared between the Port Authority and the province of New Brunswick. I should have asked you... That's Transport Canada, not Infrastructure Canada. Okay. I should have asked you earlier uh, when when we first got you uh, uh, here, um, who owns the port? Like, how's it managed, governed, and owned? Yeah, we're one of 17 Canadian port authorities that in the in that uh, that are that are were created uh, by an act of legislation federally. So we are crown land, uh, federal federally owned uh, land that uh, created uh, those 17 CPAs were created in 99 2000. So the Canada Marine Act governs all of us, and then we each have our own individual letters patent that speaks specifically to the port authority. So we have the exact same structure as Halifax, Montreal, Baldoon in New Brunswick, and then on the west coast, you know, Vancouver, Vancouver Fraser Port Authority, uh, Prince Rupert, and, and and all the others. So we're we're part of that uh, part of that network. Our one shareholder is the Minister of Transport, federally. Okay. The port recently uh, received uh, two new cranes that will double the capacity, I believe, of the port. Uh, those are now installed, I understand. Um, and and how will that uh, those new cranes uh, help with the capacity? Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about uh, the, how important those new cranes are to the port. Yeah, current cranes are. Uh- Absolutely essential to container activity. So DP World's put tens of millions of dollars since they arrived every year, bringing in new state-of-the-art equipment. Uh, they've they've purchased you know you know reach stackers, loaders, all sorts of different pieces. The two cranes that arrived in 2017, 2016 into into 17 were a big moment for us. That was the first new craneage since the early 1970s uh, at the Port of Saint John. So that was a big moment. So when these even larger cranes arrived this past February, that was a monumental moment. It was so interesting to see even in the cold effect. February, people lined the streets of St. John and we had events. It, hap- it just happened to coincide with five o'clock on a Friday. Uh, so that I think it was just perfect timing for people to get out and see the cranes coming. And and yeah, so they've been they've been uh, in the process of commissioning the cranes for quite some time. It coincided with the end of our uh, our modernization. So there was a lot of finishing work uh, that, that occurred, but we're very, very hopeful that the first ship will arrive and take advantage of those new cranes here this month, Jan- uh, June 2023. Uh, also, the uh, the modernization of the port has been on the west side of the harbor, uh, obviously. Um, and um, but tell us about the port's plans for the city side of the harbor, where you also have uh, a presence. Yeah, on, on this side, uh, you know, very much is, is where we welcome our cruise passengers at the two uh, two terminals I mentioned earlier. Uh, one in, r- really interesting waterfront development that we undertook uh, during the pandemic as we were contemplating the return of passengers is, is an area we call our 506 Container Village. So Ray Gracewood uh, and, and, and the leaders on his team just, just you know, came up with this concept of a state-of-the-art music series a number of years ago and called it Area 506 and located it uh, on different parts of the waterfront. It actually moved around. And when they approached us, they knew we always had an idea of, of converting our what we called our vendor tent. So we had a very small vendor tent um, that that just allowed cruise passengers uh, in, in there. So it was a secured zone that only passengers could interact with. And we had this fundamental belief that you know selling our selling our city and our region is best done by by locals in 
in, in you know in New Brunswick and and, and St. John specifically to really tell the story and why 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 should someone be excited about coming here? So we wanted to bring people back to their waterfront in a, in a very meaningful way. So we scoped out a, a container village project, and if you've ever if you've been able to come or in year two, it is a really interesting creative space. Uh, it's it's used containers that have you know that have artwork displayed on the side of them. We have graffiti alley. Uh, there's restaurants. There's you know you know you can grab a sandwich, grab a coffee, grab a pastry. It's terrible for the waistline of the folks that work at the Port Authority. We go down there way too much, and the food is way too good uh, for for anyone's liking. But uh, but it's really exciting uh, new development on the waterfront. I think it's it's brought people back uh, you know very much closer. Yeah, it's very innovative. I've been to the the Container Village. It's very cool. It, it it's not something you naturally think of when you think about a port. So you said yeah. somebody came up with that idea. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? How many how many vendors do you have? How many people visited on a well since you've de- debuted it last year? Yeah, so so the, the we we came up with the concept a number of years ago. Our staff were having a kind of a design. You know, what could we possibly do? This pre pandemic, and um, it, it was it was uh, many of us, myself included, had been to, to Las Vegas on Fremont Street and different. There's different container villages in London, England, and 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 uh, just thought it would, what a, what a great connection. We're building a modernization project for containers. How could you make it part of the cruise story and, and make it authentically part of of St John's waterfront growth? So we originally scoped it and then obviously cruise ships didn't didn't come in for two years and it was put on the back burner ray and his team at 506 had heard that we were interested and revitalized it and came to us with a with kind of a smaller version just kind of more more let, let's build it out over time um I, I don't have exactly because ray operates it it's a he he runs the whole program gets the vendors and does everything he, he and his team i can't tell you exactly how many are down there this year uh but i believe there's it's it's somewhere in the magnitude of about 30 to 40 different 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 vendors and then there's the rooftop uh, patio that you can overlook the waterfront and they got this big beautiful screen with sports games on it and and you know different concerts uh, uh, that, that are done really on a weekly basis now so with the container village and the redevelopment of the fundy key and the and the all of the cruise activity the downtown or the uptown actually mm. in st john is really starting to become a happening place lots of people coming down lots of uh, lots of happening things Yep. Um, I know you mentioned the Long Wharf uh, or earlier. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Of course, that's a key asset in this little sort of cluster of, of new activity uh, in the uptown. So what are the best long-term opportunities for the Long Wharf? For, for, for us, the cruise industry is is, is, is number one for, for our thinking of, of, of Long Wharf at this stage. But but to be but to be totally honest, our a lot of our capital efforts and our and our current planning right now has been on you know the, the west side with DP World, understanding the state of a lot of our infrastructure west, so we can continue that growth with them uh, at our Barrett Point Potash facility. We really think there's growth opportunities to move more potash. It's very important for those hours worked as well. The two big drivers of those hours that I mentioned earlier are the movement of bulk potash and the, and the movement of containers and other cargo with, with, with DP World. And then just continuing to look at the cruise facilities in Area 506 and what enhancements we can do in this block right up to uh, what's what's I think now called Princess Slip, which, which is be- between the Container Village and um, and uh, the Fundy Key development. That's where we've been focused. But, but as we turn our attention to the next decade, Long Wharf will become an active conversation again. But right now we're, we're kind of focused in the areas I just mentioned. Uh, I have to ask this question, you know, because I've 
I've looked at that asset and think, oh my God, it's so amazing, the possibilities. Do you see any possibility, Craig, that that could be a residential commercial um, site? Yeah, under the current current governance of 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 the ports, we're not permitted to to do th- things of that nature. So the the Canada Marine Act and our letters patent are, are quite clear of what of what's in scope and what's out of scope of port activity. So what's in scope is 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 the cruise industry, uh, you know. But 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 going forward, you know, the, I think I think as as the city of Saint John builds out their waterfront plan and they get Fundy Key off the ground, it's going to be a number of years before we do that as people's attention will naturally turn to, to what's next. I, I think the real key area down there is what I mentioned earlier, uh, where, where, where I think I think the city and and and, and maybe some private developers, uh, you know, could be focused in in the next number of years is down in that area. If, if you if you've been if if you go beyond the the condos, uh, the, the the York Point and and um, and uh, Robertson Wharf condos, if you go down Harbor Passage and you're looking at the most beautiful part of that, which is the slip and then out the harbor, uh, that substation with St. John Energy down to what's historically been a parking lot, I think is really really probably the the first prime area. To, to, to get further along that journey that you just mentioned of how we develop that area. Uh, I've been advocating for a master plan for the harbor to ensure the best long-term use uh, of this really important asset. Uh, obviously, the, the, it's yeah. going to happen regardless <laughs> of, of, of any planning. But, you know, a master plan had been previously developed about 20 years ago between the port and the city of uh, St. John, but it was never implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, you know, is it the right time for the city and port to agree and develop a master plan for the entire harbor? Yeah, no, no, no question. So we are in active conversation with the city now about trying to look at all the future plans. So what we've done immediately, what I think is really important that we get the ball rolling, uh, you know, even before we, we, we look at the full master plan is, is about transition spaces. So we have, we have engaged the city and we've, we found a third party partner, Acre Architecture. Uh, who's very well known in, in, in the region. And they're trying to develop with, we're going through stakeholder consultation through the summer and trying to get everyone involved. What could everything from the potash terminal to the ferry terminal west look like in terms of land transition? Because I really think that needs to be our first focus. Something we've really struggled with in St. John is going from industrial space to sidewalks to walks to, we, we, we really don't have any transition between our right. port terminals and the city at all. And I think if we can imagine that and get 10 to 15 years worth of green projects that get us along, it's going to be much easier to fill in what spaces are most attractive to develop and what spaces need to be maintained for industrial use. I, I really think that's where we needed to start. Uh, and we're funding that ourselves as, as, as the port and then others will be part of that. We have a community liaison committee uh, made up of local citizens as well that are going to help uh, add, add a voice to that. And we think Acre is going to come up with some really neat ideas for us. I, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, in the port's view, what are the best opportunities on the city side of the harbor that would be most uh, benefit the the community? I, there was some talk, and originally I think where uh, area five hundred six was of a of a boutique hotel as an example. Are those still the kinds of things that might be possible? I haven't been part of any of those conversations, but I think Funday Key is contemplating all sorts of different, really interesting additions to the uh, to, to the waterfront. I think that project is still in such an early stage. I think knowing what knowing what occurs there will get us a long way in what we've what, what, what we've got, what we what we're about to acquire in terms of assets, and then we're what what do we need to keep the waterfront uh, uh, you know growing. Uh, 
Uh, just on, on funded key, just for a second. Uh, I, there, I know there's been some numbers kicked around about how big that development would be. Do you have any insights about the, the, the potential size and scope of that in terms of even a dollar amount? I, I, I don't. Uh, we, we definitely stay in touch with, um, with, the, with the Funday Harbor Group. Um, led by the Elias family, just about what you know, kind of what what developments. But really, it's it's at this stage, it's it's how do we how do we, you know, con- continue to share our story about growth and crews and and what's happening at the Container Village, so it enables them to go attract the best the best folks to that facility. But I don't have a great insight as to as to what their plan is. Greg, you talked earlier about some of the constraints to seeing your TEU expansion. Um, one you didn't mention was labor. I would suspect that if you were going to go from 150 to 300 uh, uh, containers, you'd need a lot more folks working down at the docks. Now, of course, you as an organization only employ, you, you sit around 50 plus employees. So, of course, mm-hmm. most of the employment down there yeah. is the other players. Yeah. But I guess the question would be, uh, are you you and your partners seeing any challenges related to labor and, and finding staff and what strategies are being employed to address uh, labor uh, demand in at the port. Yeah, no, 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 no question. I think anyone and, and everyone's looking at looking at labor as um, as something that we that we, that needs to be focused on. I think in the last little bit, because we're we're kind of restarting, you know, hiring on the waterfront in St. John. There's been a lot of excitement, so we've had you know a tremendous amount of interest. Uh, you know, people that want to work for the ILA. When we put a job application out at the Port Authority or our operating partners, we've had tremendous uptick. But we know that that we can't guarantee that going forward because there's a lot of people uh, wanting to wanting to move here and, and and set roots. And there's going to be great competition, I think, in the next decade uh, for labor. So we formed a workforce partnership with with some of the key players uh, and the province of New Brunswick, the Department of Post Secondary Education, Training, and Labor here, um, and their Deputy Minister Dan Mills, who's been sitting on our uh, on our workforce committee with 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 several of his team, we've been really trying to proactively understand the trends and what do we need to be doing to make sure that we're that we're ready with an HR strategy, a hiring strategy, a training strategy. Training's been the big thing. I'd say if um, that that's been the biggest challenge that we've had bringing people in. It's how do you get them trained quickly? So we were able to acquire two simulators last year. That's helping the longshore and DP world through the Employers Association make sure some of those new people that even are on the reserve list or on the white card list have all the hours they need to operate the different types of equipment the loaders the cranes it's 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 complicated there's several different uh, job classifications down there and and none of them are easy uh, that's why that's why i never you know there's the, the big big wages on waterfront jobs in north america they deserve them. They're, those are tough jobs. And, you know, we, that minus 40 cold spell we all had in Atlantic Canada in February, they're outside working. And you're only guaranteed an hour when the ship comes in. And the trade industry can be very fickle in terms of, you know, a weekly service missing a week or, you know, having two ships as opposed to one because there's been some type of constraint in another port or in the, in the Suez Canal. Or, I mean, you guys know the whole supply chain. It's, it's, it's difficult. So uh, those are challenging jobs. Um, are you seeing more immigrants in the workforce in your in your uh, organization and, and around the port? 
hundred percent, hundred percent. I think that's. I think it's wonderful to have uh, the most diverse workforce we possibly can, and 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 I think we all need to be committed uh, to bringing people who may have may haven't looked at the you know whether they're it's 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 a population that that hasn't been able to secure a job on the waterfront or um, just never dream, never dreamed it was possible or are coming from uh, different parts of the world. I think we need to be looking. Our strategy needs to be all of the above. Two years ago, a regional, new regional growth agency was created called Envision. One of its goals was to bring the various economic partners together uh, uh, under an umbrella for economic development for the city and region. Can you tell us about the relationship that uh, between Envision and Port St. John, and, and how do you work with the port uh, work with Envision on on, uh, on identifying and developing opportunities? Yeah, I think I think Envision's done a great job bringing bringing everything under under the one umbrella. So I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll divide it up into two areas. Uh, from from a cruise standpoint, uh, we we continue to work you know arm in arm with with, with Envision. Uh, we had um, we had a great relationship with former Discover St. John, and there there's been different tourism entities, but really that good work and and a lot of the folks that we had previously worked with have continued on in Envision. So I'd say that was already very strong and has just continued to to to, to be to be that. Uh, through the years, uh, where we've seen a big difference is Envision's been, uh, you know, tremendous to work with um, on that workforce partnership. They're actually part of part of that group and help coordinate, the, the, you know, the, the group with with the funding that comes in uh, from Pedal. Uh, so they, they've been an important player there, and, and they really want to be a big player in destination awareness about the port as well. We talk about destination awareness a lot in cruise, but really we need to keep the port uh, top of mind to people. Again, I, I mentioned earlier on, we're a comeback story. We ha- we don't have 40 years of growth. We've got decades of, you know, unfortunately, we've had a lot of decline and we got to get back on the map and sell ourselves and be really proud of the value proposition, not be afraid to talk about the challenges, but be really, really out there. And Envision's going to be crucial in helping us do that. We can't just do that alone as the port. We don't have, we got 50 people. We don't have the resources to be deployed all over the world to make sure people are reminded that St. John still exists. Uh, final question, Craig, looking ahead, uh, what does the future hold for Port St. John and the city? Oh, I, th- I think it's major. I, th- I think I'll, I'll even go national to start. I think the Port of St. John is going to be a p- big piece of Canada's supply chain resiliency plan uh, going forward. Uh, we can never allow ourselves as a country to, uh, to to have bottlenecks like we saw during the pandemic. We we have to have resilient optionality with respect to ports, and we have all of that. We connect into three class one railways. We've got a world-class operator that we've talked about. We move potash from Western Canada in a very meaningful way through this port. I think the growth opportunities are major. When you've got CPKC talking about St. John as part of their fully integrated uh, world-class North American network, I think we got a lot to be really excited about. But with opportunities come a ton of challenges in trying to grow this and scale this model. So I think we just have to be really, really open about the opportunities and challenges that that exist and fight everything, you know, kind of one on one. I think economically from the province of New Brunswick and and from a St. John's standpoint, we can be a real catalyst for growth and having a lot more people employed on the waterfront. Whether it's cargo, whether it's growth in the in, in the in the tourism sector with cruise, I think we can play a, a meaningful role in all this. But we have to balance as well. It can't just be pure growth doesn't grow a com- just grow a community. It's got to be an attractive place to work and live. I live two streets up on Germain Street. I see the port all the time. I get it. I get the impact of of, of industry. So we have to balance everything. That's why investing in better transitions and community spaces, all of that's going to matter if this puzzle is going to be put together properly. 
Well, Craig, we'd like to thank you for joining us on the Insights Podcast and providing uh, such a great overview of the exciting growth of uh, the port. Um, we will continue to follow your progress with great interest. Thank you. I'd love to come back sometime. Thanks, guys. <laughs> All right. You will, for sure. Okay. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.